Last week, we looked at several things that unsettle us. We looked at COVID-19, we looked at politics, and a few other things that were just samples of the kinds of things that unsettle us, and actually, it was a rather depressing set of topics. And partly, it's depressing because we do not like to be unsettled. But again, a little bit like Mark Van Gilst was doing, let's look at what happened just between last Sunday and today. Saw in the news that countries have gone on lockdown again because of COVID-19. There was a resurgence in cases, and so they're closing the doors. We had a contentious election. Claims of wrongdoing and mishandling. And as we experience things like this, or even just anticipate things that are unsettling to us, it can be easy to be tempted to fear and worry. So this Sunday and next Sunday, we're exploring how we can find comfort in God's character. We saw last week that we can find comfort in God's sovereignty, the fact that God is all-powerful and in control, and He is never surprised. As we saw last week, God is not only all-powerful, but He's also perfectly good and wise. And King David knew this. He knew it from personal Experience. I don't know how many of you would raise your hand if I asked, you want to live David's life? Okay? He was a man after God's own heart. He had all kinds of difficulties that he had. But he, so he knew from personal experience God's care. And he applied his, again, his personal experience as a shepherd in describing God's care for his children. And we see that in Psalm 23. So remain seated and let's read together from the screen Psalm 23. Let's read. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Because we live in a broken world, all of us struggle at one time or another with difficulties, problems, pain, complications for things, troubles. And we can respond to all of these circumstances in different ways. If you put up the slide. We can respond in anger or fear or worry or aggression, depression. We can try to avoid. We can try to medicate. Notice it's in quotes. We can choose to trust God. Sometimes when we're experiencing difficulties and problems, We can respond in anger because our plans are being interfered with and we want to be in control. Sometimes we can respond in fear because our plans or the things that we're desiring are in danger and we don't want to lose them. Sometimes we respond with worry. Now worry is more than concern. When we try to mask it, we call it concern. Worry is more about trying to figure out how I can get what I want. This next one is actually taught as a coping mechanism. People are taught, if there's something you want, 
and it's in danger, get aggressive. Go after it. When you get aggressive, people tend to back off a little bit. They give you more working space. You can get what you want. So when things are in trouble, uh, the best defense is a good offense. Sometimes we respond with depression when we feel overwhelmed. Sometimes we just don't even want to deal with it. We just kind of, let's pretend it's not even there. If I forget about it, don't think about it, maybe it'll just kind of go away. Or medicate. Here I'm talking about we try to comfort ourselves with food or entertainment because when we're afraid, when we're unsettled, we want relief. The last one here, trusting God, that's easier said than done. So our topic for today, what do you and I do when you struggle with fear and worry? Well, let me say this. Not all fear is bad. Okay, some fear is natural for the situation. If somebody threatens you physically, we talk about the fight or flight response. Okay, that did not come from evolution, despite what you might have been told in school. God is the one who gives us that response. You go to the doctor for what you think is a minor ailment, and the doctor comes back and says you have cancer. Or you go to work, and you're told, I am sorry, but you just lost your job today. No warning, no nothing, all of a sudden, no job. Okay, it's natural in those kinds of circumstances to feel fear. Another kind of fear that you see in the Bible is the fear of God. And that's a mixture of fear and awe and reverence and worship. And that's the topic for another time. The kind of fear that we're talking about today has its roots in our desires and tends to be very self-focused. So here's some examples. Sometimes we fear being rejected by others because our desire, stronger desire, is to be accepted and valued. We, we sometimes fear experiencing pain. I don't know about you, but I've found that for myself, sometimes the anticipation of the pain is worse than the experience itself. We want comfort. We fear being exposed and shamed. It's all different other kinds of fears, but it gives you a sense of the kind of fear that I'm talking about. So what is this fear like? What, what do we do with it? Well, first thing is, this fear is natural to us. Okay, we're born with a capacity for this kind of fear. It doesn't have to be taught. Okay, parents don't have to teach their, sit down to their toddlers, their two-year-olds, and say, all right, today we are going to teach you about fear. No, they've already got it. We've already had it. This kind of fear is preoccupied with myself and my desires. And because of that, because in my, my, in my mind, in my thinking, I've made so much about me and what I want, it distorts our view of others. Instead of enjoying other people, especially when we're afraid, we can see them as potential problem makers, which leads to the next one. We can be suspicious of others. This kind of fear can cause us to run and hide. You look at the first time you see the word afraid in the Bible. It's spoken by Adam. He and Eve had just disobeyed God. They now hear God walking in the garden, and their response, just like that, run and hide. And when God starts talking to Adam, one of the first things Adam says is, I was afraid. 
This kind of fear is overprotective, which means, leads to the next one, if I'm in this mode, I'm not going to be likely to take personal risks. Okay, now in contrast to this, godly love is giving. This kind of fear can control a person. One fear can lead to a greater fear, and it can easily feed worry. Now, what does this fear look like? Let's go ahead and get to the next slide. There you go. All right. First thing to say, this dog is not grinning. Okay? Dogs do not grin when they show you their teeth. Okay? And notice what the dog has between the paws. It's a little chew toy, a little bone. Okay? When's the dog going to look like that? Either when another dog comes in the room or even when you come in and they think all of a sudden the bone is in danger. Okay, so like I said, the dog isn't grinning, the dog is growling. Okay, the dog gets aggressive. The dog will take the bone and put it between its paws and hover over it. And if you're in the room or if that other dog is not going to let you out of your sight, out of its sight. Why? It doesn't want you in the blind spot so you might grab the bone and it doesn't see it coming. That's what fear looks like. Even with a cute little dog. Now, as humans, we cannot avoid being tempted to fear and worry. But we do have a choice in how we respond. Before we get to how we respond, let's talk just a minute about worry. Worry is, re is related to fear. When we worry, we dwell on our fear and our desire. We don't use that word dwell much anymore. That means we think about our fear and our desire constantly. Okay, because worry is looking for control. Now, sometimes we say, oh, well, no, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to find a resolution to my problem. I'm trying to fix it. Or I'm trying to prevent the problem. And that sounds like problem solving, which is a good thing. But worry is different because worry just goes on and on until I get this thing that I want. I decided to look in the, in the dictionary and see what the dictionary says about worry. So three, uh, three things there. The first two are physical actions. To shake or to pull at, to touch or di to disturb repeatedly. I think every one of us at some time or other, especially as a child, you fall and you scrape your elbow or someplace and it makes a scab. And what do you just... You don't even have to hardly think about it. You just start what? Picking at the scab. Your mom or dad see that and they go, stop that. So you stop for a minute, but as soon as they're gone, you turn away. What are you doing? Picking at the scab. And what happens? By the time you're done, you've picked out the entire scab. It starts to bleed and it has to make a new scab. You are worrying at the scab. Picking at it. Pulling at it. Coming back to it again and again. Which is a picture of the, the next one. Persistent or nagging attention. Again, what are we doing? We're trying to get what we want. And the result is mental distress or agitation. Worry prefers self-protection over trust. I want what I want. And I trust me more than you. Here's another one that we've all seen. Worry can hear many encouraging words and stay totally unmoved. Okay, have you ever talked to somebody that was worried about something? A friend, somebody in the family? And 
everything you say, they've got a yeah, but. And you walk away thinking, my goodness, you know, why are they being so unreasonable? Well, this is why. Because worry can hear very good, logical solutions or answers to things and yet be unmoved because it's not enough to make sure that I get what I'm after. Worry also reveals what's valuable to us. It, it, it shows what's most important, what, what our first love is at the moment. And it crowds out all other loves as well. Well, Jesus speaks about worry, even though he doesn't use that actual word, in the New Testament, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6. So follow along as I read. This is Matthew 6, 25 to 34. But count the number of times you see the word anxious, which is a synonym for worry. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious. He's saying there, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So then he gives, he works out these two examples. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And then verse 28, he goes to clothing. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble." So if you were counting, you should have counted five times the word anxious as Jesus is talking. That's, again, replace it with the word worry. Do not worry. And notice the object of the worry. What I eat and drink and what I wear. Now, he, is, he didn't put blinders on and said, you know, that's the only thing we have to deal with. The implication is substitute either for the food or the clothes anything and everything that you and I desire that we're tempted to worry about. Anything and everything goes in there. Now, if you notice, in these verses, there's a put-off and a put-on. There's something we're to stop doing, something we're to start doing. The put-off is, do not be anxious. Don't worry. Now, if that is all Jesus had said, he would have been doing a just-say-no. Just say no to anxiety and worry. But you know how that works, don't you? It doesn't. To just say no does not work. There has to be a replacement. And his replacement? Seek God's kingdom. Or, think of it this way, put God's priorities first in your life. And then he says, your heavenly Father... And he does that on purpose. 
I believe, because God is the only perfect Father that loves us perfectly. And He says He knows what you need, and the implication is a promise. He'll gonna, he's going to provide everything you need. Now, here's another question. What is the most common command in the Bible? Don't want to raise your hand, but just be thinking. Common command. Okay, you might think it's love God, love other people. Thank you. Okay, do not fear. Over 300 times, God says, do not fear. Or related, do not worry. Now, there's a way in which God is not saying this. The way that we often do. When somebody you know has come to you and they're talking to you and they're so consumed with their problem and you say, you know what, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. We'll figure this out. Often when we say that, what are we saying? Stop messing on me. You're so full of your problem, you're dumping it all over me. I don't want your problem. Take it away and put it somewhere else. But we're going to try to be nice about it. So we say, oh, don't worry. Well, God does not say, do not fear just to get us to be quiet. He does not do that. He actually tells us over 300 times, do not fear because the temptation to fear and worry is so common. I mean, it's with us every day. So what should you and I do when we are tempted to fear and worry? I'm going to suggest six things, and all of them are connected to God's character. Be honest with God and yourself and with other people. Personalize Psalm 23. Focus more on God and His character and His promises than the problem. Choose, make a choice to trust God. Choose to hold your desires with an open hand. And then seek God's kingdom first. So let's look at that first one. Be honest with God and yourself and with other people. God already knows when you and I are tempted to fear and worry. He knows when we give in to it. Okay? So why, you can say on the one hand, why pretend? He already knows. You can't hide anything, any of the truth from God. But there's one other thing to say about this. God will not reject His children. He will not. I talked about this last week. He already knows we're needy. He made us to need Him. So he's not surprised. He's not standing there thinking, you know what, I've got to put a good face on these people that I made, but you know what, I'm just getting so tired of them being needy. God doesn't say that. He made us to need him, and he delights in giving to us. Secondly, it can be hard for us to admit to ourselves when we're fearful and worrying or tempted to it. Why? Because we want to have our act together. We do not want to appear needy or weak. We don't want to be needy or weak, but we can't help it. And then, third part of this, why do we try to hide our struggle from other people? Because we want them to think that we're doing well, that we've got our life together, that we're in control of everything. Well, the result of not being honest, there's two results. One is we end up turning away from the only hope we have, which is God. And then secondly, we also end up turning away from a tool that God uses so often, which is other people. 
And what we've done is we've isolated ourselves. If we're not going to admit or talk about or think about this, we've isolated ourselves and so we feel alone. Second point, personalize Psalm 23. God leads me to rest, restores my soul, leads me in right paths, leads me through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, I have to be careful here because I'm not saying, you know what, take the Bible and make it all about you. No, I'm not saying that. But to recognize this is how we can apply this. This is how we can speak to ourselves, that God will lead me to rest. That's the part where he talks about the pastures and the still waters. But, but also realize this, that doesn't mean that God's always going to lead you to a restful situation or circumstance. Sometimes God gives you and I rest in the middle of a mess, and we can be at peace in that. But God has noticed the pattern here. Who's working? God is the one working. He's the one acting each time. And who's the one that benefits? You and I. And why is it that way? Because God has chosen to love us and to work in our lives. But also notice as you look at the list, there's a mix. Some of the things we like, the rest, being restored, going on the right paths, being provided for, but also notice God corrects us. That's the rod part. Okay? And he leads us through what? The valley of the shadow of death. He leads us into problems. Actually, not just into, but through. Into and out of. Through problems and difficulties. And God knows we need both. It's in the problems and the difficulties, especially, that we get to exercise our spiritual muscles, if you want to say, in terms of, of listening to God and following him. Thirdly, focus more on God, His character, and His promises than on the problem. When you and I get fixated on a problem, it's like we put blinders on and we just lean over and all we can see is the problem. Can't see God, can't see other people. The problem gets bigger and bigger in our eyes. So, you may have noticed in reading some of the Psalms that the writer is talking to themselves. Okay, that's not a character flaw in them. What they're doing is they're remembering what God has done in the past. They're actually telling themselves, self, listen up. You need to remember what God has done, what I've seen him do, what I've heard other people say that he has done. And why does the writer do that? To remind himself of God's character and provision, to be able to back up a little bit, to look up in a sense and see more than the problem to see God is here and he's in the picture and he's working and here's his character. Another command, and I don't, didn't look it up to see how many times it's given, but more than we think, in the Bible, God commands us to remember. Remember him, who he is and what he's done. Now this does not stop us at all from trying to take care of the problem or difficulty but it gives us, it helps us to maintain a right perspective as we're working on it. It's not just up to us. Next one. Choose to trust God. Make a choice. I'm going to trust God right now. Don't wait, which means you don't wait until you feel like trusting God. It's especially when you don't feel like it, when things are a mess, that you should make that choice to trust God. 
And remember that the Bible does not tell us to have a blind faith in God that has no basis whatsoever. It does not do that. It tells us to trust God and then gives us evidence, points us to evidence that God is trustworthy, that God is giving, that God does work, that He does care and love us. And actually, the more that you read the Bible and begin to understand it, what you're going to see is that we actually depend on God for even the most ordinary of our needs every day. We didn't create ourselves. We don't keep our life going. We can't, we can't even grow food unless God does the heavy lifting. God is involved in the most ordinary of our needs and when you realize that, what you see is that God is showing himself to be trustworthy again and again. Then, this is a favorite of mine, choose to hold your desires with an open hand. Let's say this pen represents your desire. A clenched fist means I have made this desire or the solution to a problem, whatever it is, an idol, I-D-O-L. It's now the most important thing in my life, above anything else. When I hold my desires with an open hand, I can say, God, you know, I really would like whatever it is that I'm desiring. But now I have a greater desire than just this one. And that greater desire is, God, I want you to work your plan in my life. Because you're wiser than I, you're greater than I am. You know better just like the song from Joseph from the movie, Joseph, King of Dreams, you know better than I. In a sense, when you open your hand, that's what you're telling God. God, you know better than I do. And what that means then is if God's plan says, nope, not going to give you this desire this time, you've decided already beforehand, that's okay. God is, I, I can see plenty of other ways that God is, is giving and loving me and saying yes so many other times, for him to say no this time, that's all right. And then lastly, seek God's kingdom first. Think about, and what that means is this, ask God what he wants you to do every day. Think of the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, where Jesus teaches us how to pray. He starts off with, Our Father in heaven reminding us God is the perfect loving Father that cares and provides and loves us. And He's in heaven. He's in control. He is sovereign over everything. The next part of it, again, is still focusing us on God. Hallowed be your name. God, help me to worship you, to delight in you, to see how good and great you are. And then, He says... Your kingdom come. God, would you show me how you want to use me in your kingdom today? Your kingdom is more important than my plans. Ask God, how would you do that? And would you give me that desire, God? And then, if you remember what we read in Matthew 6, that was, that was Jesus' answer to worry. Quit focusing on your plans and your agenda and everything you got, ask God what His is, focus on that, and recognize He's going to provide for us. He's going to give us everything we need. But I also like how the passage ends. 
little reminder, we cannot avoid all trouble. We'd like to, but we can't. But what we see is that God cares, and any trouble we do have, we know that it is part of God's plan, His good plan for us. And we can trust Him, because He shows Himself worthy of trust over and over again every day. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You. We thank You for loving us. We thank You for Your Word. Um, Thank You for the command in those verses five times, do not worry, do not be anxious, do not fear. Over 300 times in the Bible, do not fear. Lord, we confess that we so easily can be fearful because we want what we want. Help us to want you more. Lord, help us to see how you care and provide and give, and then how you use us to help others as well. Lord, help us to trust you. Would you grow that trust in us? Would you help us to choose to trust you, to choose to remember and to remind ourselves of all of the ways we have seen you do good and love us and recognize that we are just barely scratching the surface with the things that we remember and the things that we see, that there's even more. So we thank you and praise you, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to respond with a song.